Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South Podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Carl Guerra. Marler, 3.30 on Saturday was the ultimate what do I do with my hands moment of 2020. Yes. Man, it was bizarre on a, so many levels. I like I you turn on the TV and you just like you do that thing where you keep flipping channels and you're like I know I know the slate right now in the afternoon is terrible but I'm going to flip yeah. on I'm going to flip on ESPN or ABC and it's going to be a really good game and I just kept telling myself that and then I was like you know what it's not happening I'm turning on the Masters and I'm just not going to complain. Yeah, um I'm not even going to tell you what I did because um I mean, it's none of your business, fine. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I um yeah, I, I, I finally decided, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to enjoy myself and have myself a day because I, I'm just not going to force, you know, force feed um, bad college football into, into my body. I'm just not. I'm just not going to do it. You know, like, I'll force feed bad food into my body all day, but I'm not going to force feed trying to care about Notre Dame and Boston College. I did bet on Notre Dame. That was great. Um, I think not caring and from a gambling standpoint, wow, I was unbelievable yesterday. I, oh boy. I, yeah, I didn't post any any staff picks for us this week, but um, but yeah, I mean like we, I, I was like three and zero, I think it was fantastic. It was a great day, and I decided I just you know what, the only thing I wanted to do yesterday was to stay away from any dumb arguments uh, on social media, and I was able to do that up until about nine forty five at night, and it was a, it was a pretty Marler, good day. Marler, 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 you've yeah. been you've been getting a little bit more involved in these, and I've noticed there are times when I. I I want to say on social media, but I don't. And I want to yeah. text you, but I don't. Because I don't want to get involved. But there are moments where I just want to say, heal, heal. Uh, see, I think I would do the opposite. Like, I think, I think what I would do is, I, the Pat McAfee thing, it's like, where, like, I, I think that a lot of people on Twitter have this, has, have this idea of, like, the customer always being right. And then, like, since I'm, like, working at a company and I love my job, um, not using bad words and, like, in responding, like, well, your opinion matters, too is like what I'm supposed to do, but I'm just not going to do that anymore. Because just to be honest, like most of these, most of these yeah, idiots on here. Yeah, Yeah, like, like we, we had, like, you know what, let's just get into it. Like last week on, after the Georgia-Florida game, the worst argument I've ever been in on social media happened. And it was a guy telling me that I got my job because I was friends with you. Like that's, that's how he started the, the conversation. Was that I only got this job because me and you were friends. Like me and you were like boys that went way back since like high school, like Vinny Chase type stuff. Do and people I was like, not know that we did not actually meet for the first time until six months after we recorded our first podcast together? Do they not know that? I don't know. He apologized on several social media platforms, but it's just like, which was nice of him to do. But it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, I, I um, I just, I can only heal for so long. That's all. And I'm, I'm just, I, I enjoy, uh, like, I don't need to get involved in a bunch of arguments, but also I'm just not going to stand for just dumb things being said. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, yeah. we, we, we don't have many SEC games to get to. We have a few no. SEC games to get to. But some things that I think moving forward are definitely worth bringing up. I am, by the way, recording this from the closet of our, yeah. our master bedroom of our new home, which uh, has been a bit of a whirlwind the last, you know, like 48 hours or so. Um, but it's kind of one of those things that slowly but surely you look up and you're like oh this is actually starting to feel like our house and not just somebody else's house that you know we're like letting you know they're like letting us keep our stuff in there so as you know as i'm sure many people listening to this who own homes know um it's been a little bit different and that made yesterday kind of feel that much weirder because i'm watching this game in you know 
new living room and everything with our, our new setup and got the cable and internet switched over and all that. But it, it was it was a bizarre Saturday on so many fronts and bizarre even because I flipped on you know college game day at nine o'clock only to realize that oh no it wasn't on ESPN and it was going to be it was switched over and that in itself was weird it was everything yeah. was just weird on on Saturday but that's okay it's very odd. embrace the weird that's what we say um, all right before we get to all the games Florida Arkansas actually having. Well, Florida-Arkansas wasn't the game of the night. It was, we know, it's South Carolina Ole Miss. Before we get to all of that, though, and maybe a couple of Sunday apologies, Marler, there's plenty of room in our fridge for Texas Pete. I mean, I think we can have the entire Texas Pete arsenal if we really wanted to, and that excites me. Well, and I were saying, I think this is the nicest fridge. Like, we've never had a fridge that was actually, like, nice it's all just been you know when you're at rental properties and stuff like that but um our fridge is is, i feel like i want to upgrade our selection of texas pete well i mean one you should already have done that for for one two i love um i love the way you brought that up because it reminded me of the blind side he's like i never had one of these and they're like what's that a bed like a a, a room of your own he's like a bed like you should do that like reenact it with a fridge that's a good idea like (laughs) so um yeah, listen. Uh, we talked about the, the internet trolls and, and how I need to I need to cool off a little bit. I need to water down um, the reaction a little bit. But I tell you what, I'm not going to. You know, and I'm knee deep in a season where if you can't stand the peat, stay out of the kitchen, guys. That's just bottom line. I live my life uh, just a quarter mile of hot sauce at a time, and and I just I the, the, I, I treat social media the same way I'm going to treat my eggs in the morning, my chicken at night, all that, Connor. Um, I wish that those didn't come from the same body when I just said that out loud. But <laughs> regardless, um, I already had a, a fantastic breakfast, four eggs, eggs wh- egg whites, some oh. cheddar cheese, and a lot of Texas Pete's. Put that in a little, uh, what do you call it, a little flour tortilla. It's a great way to start your day. Um, but every day is a great day to start your day when you have Texas Pete. Connor's talking about expanding his horizons a little bit. Man, I tell you what, we had to do, we had to get a second fridge. We have a little beverage fridge. That's what it's supposed to be for, for like wine and fancy nice. stuff like that. I'll tell you what it holds, all my extra Texas Pete and some LaCroix, because I'm fancy. So go ahead, get some Texas Pete, get some Texas Pete dust, get some Texas Pete wing sauce, have yourself a day. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Oh, they make great stocking stuffers, just saying. So mm. um, make sure <laughs> you go down to the store today and get yourself some Texas Pete. Texas Pete, you can't stand the heat. Or the Pete. Stay out of the kitchen, guys. Top three worst things about moving, I think, in that conversation is going to a new Publix. That, Why? That f- oh, because it's all different? Yeah, it's it's all different. Everything's backwards, and you have to, like, get used to that. And I had to experience that this morning, and it was it was weird. I felt like a kid who was at a new high school, and, like, that stereotypical, <laughs> like, my family moved from far away, and I'm, I'm looking around for everything aimlessly, and I'm, like, asking the teacher, hey, where's this class? Where's this class? But, yeah. Um, we figured it out. We're going to be good to go. We're going to be able to load up on some Texas Pete. Florida, really good to go without Kyle Pitts, who, as we found out, was not going to be able to play against Arkansas. And my gosh, it did not matter. The Gators put up 63 points. Kyle Trask had five touchdowns and nearly 300 yards. Oh, that was just in the first half. Yep, Set the again. SEC record for touchdowns in his first six games. He's got 28 of those. That's tied for the most in FBS in the last 20 seasons. And oh, by the way, well, say that again. Say that again, real quick, because I want people to hear, people to hear this. 
Kyle Trask has tied the FBS record in the last 20 seasons for touchdowns through his first six games, and all of those came against SEC competition. No cupcakes or anything like and, that in there. And I'm pretty sure that the person he's tied with has not named Tua, not named Joe Burrow, not named Kyler Murray, and not named Baker Mayfield. Colt Brennan? There you go. That's going to come in, uh, Wait, come in handy later. I don't know. Oh, I, thought you I think it probably answer. is. It probably oh. is. Yeah. <laughs> Um, some of the throws that he was making, holy cow. I mean, Boy. <laughs> that throw and catch. I remember a couple weeks ago and you said that Justin Fields, we weren't seeing anyone else in the country do things like this. Yeah, and <laughs> you know what? I, I think what Justin Fields has done has been very video game-like. Yeah. Kyle Trask continues to improve. And if you are still one of those people who's like, oh, he's not that good, you're going to tell me about some crap recruiting ranking or something like that, I felt like this was the game that shut all of those people up that say it's just about the weapons. Because we saw without Kyle Pitts the same sort of Florida high-powered offense. Yeah. That throw and catch to Justin Shorter, my goodness. Some of the throws he was making to Trayvon Grimes, it, it is baffling baffling to me that he has started off this way with what is 75% of a normal SEC schedule and looked this good and there are still some people out there some maybe I think there's still a few who still don't think that he's one of the best quarterbacks in college football which is just a, a wild thought it's wrong it's just wrong you know I, I, we had this conversation last night with uh, um, Joe Morrison and, and he was like yeah you guys thought that he wasn't elite coming in the season and he gave us really no reason to think he was like elite elite like he wasn't like we didn't see games like this right uh, and it's it's not necessarily like the joe burrow from 2018 to 2019 situation because burrow was so limited and his numbers were so mediocre compared to what he did from 2018 to 2019 this is like i mean kyle trask led the sec for returning for returning starters in touchdowns in passing yards and like in all these things right like I, so it, it's not, but it wasn't like he was doing things last year. You look at the, like the Georgia game and, and the the Florida game. He had some really good games. And the LSU really game. good teams. LSU game, yeah, yeah. Um, we had four touchdowns, one interception in Death Valley at night, and, and you know they had a lead in the third quarter. But but we weren't seeing, it, and we probably weren't seeing it because we didn't want to see it because we had Tua, we had Joe Burrow, we had we had these other guys that we had already like you know decided this is where our eyes should do like you know avert to, and this is where we our attention is going to be. You know, spent and he has done an incredible job all season. Of I don't know if I don't know if Kyle Trask is going to be the best NFL quarterback from from this group of SEC quarterbacks, or if this if Kyle Trask is going to be like the next Tom Brady. I have no idea, but I know that what I'm watching right now are absolutely elite numbers he's putting up in the SEC against only SEC competition, and I don't really think it's like like like. He might he might not be the most physically talented. I don't know. Okay, I don't I don't know. I'm sure there's people with better arms, all that kind of stuff. And there's if you want to make the argument that it's only because he has all this talent around him, whatever. But if there's there's not an argument in my opinion to be made that he is, should not be the Heisman front runner at this point. I agree. I agree with this. And last December, before Florida's bowl game, before they played in the Orange Bowl against Virginia Tech, I wrote a column saying that I think Kyle Trask is going to be like Joe Burrow, and that he is going to be the breakout superstar in the SEC in 2020. Now, I wasn't saying that I thought he was going to rewrite the college football record books. I said he's not going to be the number one overall pick. And I'm not even saying that he's going to win the Heisman Trophy. But if I'm looking at a guy who can make this year-to-year -year jump where all of a sudden we're like, holy crap, 
this is different. And it's because of, yeah, part of it is because of a lot of things around him. And you could say, well, Joe Burrow, yes, absolutely. He was limited in 2018. They didn't have the backup quarterback situation to be able to support what he was doing. Kyle Trask, as we talked about, when you come into this situation in the middle of the season, it's different. When you don't have all those reps with the ones, it's different. When you don't have an offensive line that can particularly pave the way for a running game, it's different. And all of these factors around Kyle Trask have improved. But let's be honest. The dude has just gotten better. He has made so many strides, and the way that he reads defenses is everything you would want out of a quarterback in 2020 at the college level, at the NFL level. He makes throws with anticipation. He reads coverages. He reads coverages at the line of scrimmage. He's not one of these quarterbacks who's getting to 10 seconds left on the play clock, is turning to the sideline, and is letting an offensive coordinator pretty much read the defense for him. He's not doing that, and he is command of this group in a way that, yes, it is Burrow-esque, and some of the things that he doing i'm not saying that he is exactly joe burrow because joe burrow what he did last year i don't know that we're ever going to see quite that type of production we're again, seeing but, it right now but we're seeing a lot of the same things it's we're, becoming no, more we're, difficult we're to argue seeing that it right now and so and he, here's my here's my issue like like so are we getting into the heisman talk now Let's 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 do it because the, the pace okay, because the pace right now and some of the numbers need to be brought up for those who have not realized this. Yeah, and so with the stuff with, with stuff with Kyle Trask, like last night, it says a lot about a player where, like, okay, you I didn't even realize he had they put up sixty three points last night because he did. I was like, yeah, just another ho hum performance. And again, I want to say this. I said it last week. Bama fans, better strap the f in. This Man, I saw some Bama reason. fans last night who were like, this is gonna be this is gonna be quite the game in Atlanta. Yeah, it feels it, feels different. I, I feel less and less confident as a band fan. Like, I, like, like, it's not just like it goes. The confidence level goes down a little bit. Maybe part part of it's because we haven't seen Bama play in a couple weeks. But it's like, I feel less and less confident by like, I don't want to say exponential amounts, but like a lot amounts. Like it's like it's like you know a couple weeks ago I was like, oh, I'd love to play Florida. And then like after Georgia, it's like all right, I'm like ninety. Nobody can confident. stop them. Yeah. And then after this, it's like all right, okay, like I'm like sixty percent. That's like, <laughs> feels like it's being like really really gracious like for Bama because, you know, again, and, and this this there's a lot that goes into this because. Bama's not going to get like Bama's going to come off. I'm assuming rusty, and they're not getting the benefit of being able to play any of these games because the people they're going up against are a bunch of <laughs> and, and want to go out and get what do you call it? Go out and get COVID instead of doing the right things. LSU talking to you. So, but like you, you look at you look at what Florida's been able to do. No one's been able to stop them. I jokingly said to my buddy Robbie Buffington last night, I was like, "Man, first to 50 wins." He's like, "Dude, like first to 100. Like it's going to be so stupid yep. between these two. But, but here's, here's the one argument, or the two arguments I got into last night, and I said Kyle Trash should be the frontrunner for the Heisman. And I don't really think that's up for debate. And, and there's a lot, like, you could have an opinion on something, and, and, and I get why you would have the opinion, but the, the responses I got was like, here are my, here's my least favorite ones. Why? Because Mac Jones hasn't played today? No, it's because Kyle Trash's numbers are better. Uh, why? Did Tua, I said he's putting up numbers at a better clip than anyone else we've seen in recent memory. And I got, did Tua die? Did Kyler Murray die? Did Baker Mayfield die? Well, I'm glad you guys asked because yesterday if you tuned into SportsCenter or, uh, or College Game Day live from the Masters, you saw a graphic they put up comparing Kyle Trask and his numbers through five games yesterday before the before game was played. Before this game, yeah. Yeah, like, through five games to Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, and Joe Burrow. And his numbers besides total yards, which were, were less than Burrow, his numbers for touchdowns, and, and total yards were better than Kyler Murray, better than Baker Mayfield, and they were slightly under Joe Burrow's. Like, and you think about it, those, especially those last two, Kyler Murray and Joe Burrow, and and really Joe Burrow, we have said we've said on this podcast that those were historically, like those were historical seasons that we thought would never be, never be challenged. Yeah, it just at yeah, untouchable. And we are seeing it a year later. 
in a, in a season where he's not playing. I'm looking at, at Joe Burrow's schedule right now. Here, here, here are the numbers, okay? So for the whole crowd of, what, did Joe Burrow die? All that kind of stuff. Here's total yards and touchdown to INT ratio through six games for Joe Burrow. 2,262 yards, 27 touchdowns, three interceptions. Here's Kyle Trask. 2,249 yards, 28 touchdowns, three interceptions. He has 13 yards less, and he did not, he did not get the benefit of playing Georgia Southern, Utah Northwestern State. State, Utah State, Vanderbilt, or Texas, who was the 120-something ranked pass defense, and I think it was 127 out of 130, pass defense in the country. I, listen, we all know what Joe Burrow did the whole season. He, he beat seven top ten teams, and it was fantastic. I'm not saying that we need to have a, a debate of – Kyle Trask is better than Joe Burrow because we don't need to have that debate. It doesn't really matter. But it matter. gives you perspective. It, gives it you perspective. needs to give you perspective. And the fact that people think that Kyle Trask isn't good because he has red hair or whatever, I don't know what's holding you guys back from this. It's just effing ridiculous. It's just so stupid because it's like, why? just look at the numbers. I'm not asking you to say that Kyle Trask, like this is like such a perfect thing for Twitter. It's like, hey, Kyle Trask's numbers are, are, are almost as good as Joe Burrow's. And the reaction is, you think Kyle Trash is better than Joe I Burrow? Know, exactly. Not what I'm saying. What I'm yeah. saying is they are they are comparable to what Joe Burrow did last year, and it's time you start putting some effing respect on his name. Amen. Two and a half touchdown passes for the rest of the way, and he would still, an average of that, and he would still hit 40 touchdown passes <laughs> in an 11-game season. In an 11-game season, that's assuming... Yeah. And, and he'll get a 12-game season as long as Florida makes it to the SEC championship. His 14-game pace right now, which... Um, he could technically get that yep. they would also they would obviously have to get to a national championship in order for that to happen this year. But his 14 game pace right now, 5,066 passing yards and wow. 65 touchdown passes. Again, he has done this against what is 75 percent of a normal full SEC schedule, six SEC games as opposed to eight. He still might finish. Number two all-time in SEC history, single season in touchdowns, touchdown passes, and yards to Joe Burrow, which is an unbelievable thing in this limited season. So, yes, as we talk about the Heisman, the conversation just got a lot more real because uh -huh. this happened without Kyle Pitts. And if all of a sudden Florida's offense had kind of looks like it did in the second half against Georgia, late against Texas A&M, we are having a different conversation. As of last Saturday, even after the Georgia game. His Heisman odds were still only 10 to 1. 10 they were 14 to 1. They were 14 to 1 uh, a couple weeks ago on, um, I have it somewhere, because I looked at it. It's the best value in the country. So, and that was, so as of this, I think it was post, the, after the Georgia game, his odds at 10 to 1, Mac Jones, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence were all plus 175. Now, yeah. Kyle Trask, in my opinion, like, I don't want to get caught up in the moment, but I think this is still valid. If, if, and I'm not saying this will happen, if he wins an SEC title, he's winning the Heisman Trophy. I don't know if that's true. And I, you know why? You know why I, think, I don't know if that's true? Because of the conversation you and I had before this and the, and the comment you made. I'm not trying to call out anyone in your family. But the comment your brother made, I don't know if it's true. I, like, like, from a national standpoint, I don't think people have bought into Kyle Trask, and I don't, I don't know if they're going to. I thought last night. I thought last night would, should have helped in a major way on a day in which college football slate was terrible. And if you just tuned into that game that was on mm -hmm. ESPN on Saturday night, you're like, this this is special. And while it wasn't necessarily a game of top ten teams or something yeah. like that, I think that can still change a lot of minds. And I think you will see the conversation about him start to pick up a lot more steam. 
Okay, so can we talk about the com the comment your brother? Yeah. Made? So okay. and it wasn't a comment. I mean, we do this weekly. Right. We do this weekly Big Ten debate on Saturday Tradition, our Big Ten site, and our debate this week was: What should be? Should there be a threshold for Justin Fields and winning the Heisman Trophy? I said that if Justin Fields has four games played fewer than a Kyle Trask or a Mac Jones, then no, we should not be voting for Justin Fields to win the Heisman Trophy. My brother argued the opposite, saying, what more could you ask of him to do? This isn't a year in which cumulative stats are going to be used as the, the total metric. Right. And I get that to a certain extent. And I have sung Justin Fields' praises mm -hmm. because I think what he is doing this year is extraordinary. And while he didn't get a game this past weekend because it was canceled, because Maryland had a COVID outbreak, I still Still think that he is playing this this sport at such a high level but we're talking about a month's worth of data and how many times have we crowned a september heisman an october yep. heisman and it's not to say that fields oh it's I not a month's worth fall off. it's three weeks worth yeah and and that i think would make an absolute difference especially if trask continues this horrid pace that he yeah. is on yeah and so and, and this is the only reason i bring that up and i'm not trying i'm not again not trying to call out your your brother by any means my my, my point is when you look at when the way people vote for the Heisman, and I, I thought it might be a little bit different. It's like Tua had the Heisman locked up in in 2018. It was locked we up. We thought, yeah. We thought, and then the last weekend, everyone, you give like I, I think the, the the Heisman more so than the AP poll, more than anything else, it is like it is like the message boards come to life that with actual voters. Like it, it gives validity to the message board mentality of like you know what. I believe this because I live in this part of the area, or I'm a fan of this, and this is how I'm going to vote. It, it is, it is mind blowing to me that like I'm not saying Kyler Murray didn't deserve it, but you could be that far ahead, and then all of a sudden everyone sees a game against Texas in the SEC or in the Big Twelve Championship, and they're like, "Man, Kyler Murray is incredible." It's like, well, he's been do putting that up all year against like crappy defenses and all this kind of stuff. Fine, but like, wh how did y'all not notice it all year? In the same way that we hear Saquon should have won the Heisman or was going to win the Heisman, you know, you know that uh, the last twelve, the last twelve Heisman Trophy leaders, like odd, like like statistical odds leaders, only I think eleven of them haven't won. Like like wait, in the so leaders, explain that, explain that. So like it's, when it's, it's the last twelve after the first month of the season, like through there like we go. Or, or, yeah. So eleven of the twelve haven't won. The highest ever, Leonard Fournette. He was like minus one eighty five or minus two something, like like minus, not even plus, where you have everyone else. Like it was ridiculous, and we all know how that that played out. And I think this year's a little yes, bit different than anything. Do. But if but if you're talking about like people are going to talk about Justin, man, Justin Fields, he's played three games. Like and so and so, I I'm not I'm not saying what he's doing isn't incredible. But I I, I kind of like mocked that what you had said about it, where it was like. You aren't seeing anybody put these up, and it's like we're seeing Matt Corral did it again last night. Going like he's had seven incompletions in two games, and so we're oh, seeing it. And we're seeing it like those numbers. Definitely, we are seeing other people put those numbers up. But I, I think that we're getting to a point now where, especially in a year where where things are wide open, I thought that I thought that voting might be wide open, wide open, and people might be like, man, like you got to really tip your cap to this. I think that people are going to be even more stuck in their biases of of like. Of what yeah. they think, like in the preseason, than they they are in other years, and we're seeing that play out because, you know, I mean, if we think that Ohio State for any reason right now deserves to be in Heisman talk, or like I'm not saying not in national championship talk, but like, I mean, hell, they're gonna play how many games? Like, like it, it just Kyle and like and and all that aside, 
Why are we even making the conversation of, well, if Ohio State can play this many games, Justin Fields deserves a Heisman? Because we're looking down in, this, in Gainesville, and it's like, hey, man, all, all, like, stop trying to make, like, take the mental gymnastics, like, into this argument and say, like, hey, look how great Justin Fields has been, and look how great this team could be. They just haven't played these games. Just look at what we are able to watch. And Kyle exactly. Trask, that's, in a week-in and week-out basis, has put up phenomenal numbers. If Kyle Trask is able to continue what he is doing, I think – I think that could quiet the conversation surrounding Justin Fields, but it's going to be an interesting race. And as the Heisman always, yeah. always feels, there are very, very few times in which we're ever like, yeah, this is definitely locked up, and then it turns out to be that way, as you is just he, mentioned. I will also say, too, that I, I, I think that everything you said about what he was able to do on a Saturday night last night and like in a game on nationally televised on ESPN and in a week of like you know kind of crappy games – that is like by all by all means. That's a logical way to look at it and think that yeah, like people must have watched it. I think that this weekend more than any other weekend, people were not watching as much because it's like possibly it, like and you know in like the Big Ten especially, you had Wisconsin playing Michigan anyway. So I, I wonder how how much that'll affect it, and I wonder how much of it'll be like I think Kyle Trask deserves all the credit in the world, and and I don't want him to beat Alabama by any means for as a fan. But I wonder if if we're gonna see a situation where he just he's put up ridiculous numbers all year. And then he gets the Bama game and puts up like, oh my God, Kyle Trasted for 350 yards and three touchdowns, like numbers that like pale in comparison to his normal ones, and somehow it vaults him over the top. His odds will change more after this weekend than I think any weekend that we have seen so far, and probably helps that the three guys that that he was behind were all out of action, and that's certainly yeah. part of the conversation. On the other side of this, the other quarterback, a guy that Kyle Trask knows very very well, Felipe Franks in his return to the swamp. Okay, started off really good. He got booed by some Florida fans as he entered the field. I'm not saying that that so was stupid. every single Florida fan, but then he gets cheered as he leaves. And I sort of hate that. And I'm not going to call out all Florida fans and say that there was everybody was totally flip-flopping based on the result of a game. But yeah. when that happens, that's what it feels like. I don't think there's necessarily any love lost with Felipe Franks and the Florida fan base and Felipe Franks and some of those Florida players. I know he's still close with some of those Florida players, and he still keeps a relationship. But it, you, you hear a reaction like that, and suddenly it sinks in of all those things that we heard midweek about you know Dan Mullen and, and Trask and having that relationship that doesn't necessarily extend to everybody. And part of that, of course, is on Felipe Franks. When you shush the home crowd, nobody is going to forget that. I don't like, though, the flip-flopping, in my opinion. Like, I almost would have respected it. This is going to sound God. stupid. I didn't want Felipe Franks to get booed. I said that I wanted him to get a warm yeah. welcome reception because I think both parties have moved on and have done better for and it. And benefited tremendously from this. Yeah, it's almost like um, that relationship that you have in high school or just that bad relationship in general where two people end up with with different significant others later on, and they're better for it because they get that bad relationship out of their system. And I kind of think that's how Florida and Felipe Franks, the relationship was, and now both have kind of matured a little bit and moved on. And it's kind of weird that you saw that sort of reaction because if Florida loses that game, and that didn't come close to happening, yeah. if Florida loses that game, is Felipe Franks getting cheered off the field? No No way. No, I, I agree. I, like I, so that wasn't my biggest takeaway because I don't know. I, I didn't notice how 
predominant the cheers were or, or boos were necessarily. I did feel like I heard boos, but I, I did like it was funny to me beforehand because I posted something. I posted like a, like a meme with like the the Felipe Frank thing where he's like like giving like a sarcastic smile and like point to somebody. And he's like in a Florida uniform, and then somebody said. It was like, you know, when you when you see someone you haven't seen in a couple of years and you know they've been talking blank behind your back. Right, right. And regardless, that, that's an appropriate meme and it makes sense. And there were a couple of Florida fans who, Florida fans, hear us out, man. One of the parts of being um, a national contender is you're going to be talked about more. So just calm the blank down about overreacting to everything. Like, I think there are some good. Florida fans who who understand, and, and, and there I'm not, are I'm not some. Kev Harris is one of them, and there's there's Bobby and Joe, like are great. But my God, you you I mean like I said last night, I was like, it seems like there's a lot of people in in the swamp right now. And you know what it was, Connor? It was cardboard cutouts. I all I do all I there's do a lot of cardboard I mean, cutouts. There, there's a ton of them, and so I asked this question. I was like, it seems like there's a lot of people in the swamp right now. No. And somebody was like, oh, have you not watched a game at Kyle Field? And I was like, I'm not, I didn't say anything. This has to be exhausting for you to be this defensive. I mean, like, Ray Lewis wasn't that defensive. Like, what's wrong with you? Yikes. So, yeah. So, anyway. I, but, like, at the same time, somebody responded to something. It's like, we love Felipe. Everyone, every Florida fan loves Felipe. I'm like, well, that's not true. Not true. It's just not true at all. Like, it's just not. And it's fine to not like him, but, you know, like, you wear the big boy pants now. You were going to beat them anyway. So just, you know, give them a little golf clap and go on about your day. Felipe and his relationship with Florida is unique. It is not black and white. It is complicated. And, you know, I, I was at least happy for the guy that I thought he played pretty well. I thought for the most yeah. part he played pretty well. You see, though, the anticipation, the decision-making. Kyle Trask is on a different level than Felipe Franks. Yeah. And there's a reason why he is still the starting quarterback at Florida and Felipe Franks isn't. But you know what? Good for Felipe that he actually played pretty well, came back into the game after it looked like he took a, a hit to the wrist. He oh, went to the God. locker room briefly, came back in that game. But there was, I mean, you could tell, there's still a little bit of that bad blood there. After that first touchdown that he threw, which was an absolute dime, by the yeah. way. I love Felipe dimes. I really do. Um, after he threw that pass and he's, He's looking at the Florida badge and he's talking to him. I mean, he's he's John, like he's letting yeah. him know. And I mean, there's there's a certain thing to be said for that. And even if he's friends with some of those guys, like if I was if I'm playing pickup with my buddies and I drain yeah. a three right in my buddy's eye, I'm gonna let him know about it. Like, of course, that that stuff happens. But you can't be sensitive about that. God, I can't yeah, imagine can't. what I would say to y'all. He was 15 and 19 <laughs> for 250 yards. I don't yeah. care if I, if my team would have lost by 35, I still would have been in their in their face. The other thing on Arkansas side. Sam Pittman's Coach of the Year case has never looked better. Uh, shout out to Michael Bratton for that. I don't agree um, with this at all. But, okay, so here's here's the point I would make for that. It's not to say that Barry Odom is, like, bad at his job or anything like that. Uh, we've talked about this. Barry Odom's the defensive coordinator. He's not a head coach. He's just not. What is that? Was he going to all of a sudden just stop this Gator offense that hasn't been stopped by anyone else? Uh, I don't think that he would have stopped them. I don't think that he would have stopped them. I think when Barry Odom can actually <laughs> sink his teeth into a defense and he can spend all of his time on that as opposed yeah. to taking on the head coaching duties, there's something to be said for that. Arkansas wasn't winning that game with Sam Pippen. I'm not saying that. No, that they was might the first not have time. lost by 28, but they, I don't know if it really would have mattered either way. That was the first time where it really felt like, okay, this is this is a, a very, very one-sided affair, whereas like, the Georgia game kind of felt felt like that later on and they pulled away late. A&M, I thought maybe you could make that case as well. But Florida was the only time where you're like, oh, this actually for a brief moment in time almost feels like 2019 Arkansas from a defensive standpoint, not from yeah. an offensive standpoint because I thought they still did some good things. But Sam Pittman, you know, um, 
sitting at home with his good old pal Lucy, that bulldog yeah. who just looks adorable. I, I think Sam Pittman might have even helped his SEC Coach of the Year uh, case with those optics. I, I think this is very similar, in my opinion, to the Heisman talk then because I thought Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin had a tremendous job equaling their same record mm. as Arkansas right now. And I understand the head like they were heads up, but like it, it <laughs> it's like if we – if we're going to sit here and say, like, all right, Arkansas is on the road against a top six team in the country that by all means is contending for a spot in the playoff and loses by 28, which is, let's, I mean, let's face it, like, like who else have, they, they beat Georgia by 16, Mizzou by 28. Um, I mean, like, they, I guess that this was like the biggest, um, I guess, like most lopsided game in terms of points. But I mean, I, I, I don't, I think it's, it's a built-in excuse if we're going to say that, like, well, Sam Pittman would have made a huge difference because Lane Kiffin, what he's been able to do again, and, and on a night where, it, you know, they didn't have he didn't, Lane Kiffin doesn't have a defense. Like Lane, like I get, I get, like Barry, Barry Odom is a great D coordinator, and Kendall Browns is a good uh, offensive coordinator. But I feel like Lane Kiffin, the more I watch Ole Miss, I, I feel more and more confident that he's the one pulling all the strings because mm. it's like he has no help. Can we talk about South Carolina Ole Miss because that game was everything everything I hoped Ole Miss yeah. could be in 2020. I mean, that was like, that was, that was perfection slug. That, that is yeah. exactly what the doctor ordered after a relatively crappy day of college football and a crappy so day of college fun. football is a better day than any other. But at the same time, that was exactly what the doctor ordered. Saturday night, late, late game with our good friends, our good friends, Tom Hart, Jordan Rogers, Cole Kubelik, and we got 1,256 yards of offense, 101 total points. Matt Corral throws for an Ole Miss record 513 yards. Lane Kippen threw his play sheet into the air. It was like twice. 2014. Yeah, twice, and he threw it up into the stands. That game was fantastic. If you were just sitting at home, you're like, this day has sucked. I don't have the Masters on anymore, and I need something to entertain me. That was it. That was it right there. Yeah, it was one of the most entertaining games I've watched in a while, and it was it was fun because we just really get to see like like Ole Miss is fun. It's fun to see when 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 they execute at a level where you you know that it's Lane Kiffin's offense. They're doing what he's he's asking them to do. They're performing it like the way he wants them to perform. But when you get to watch not just the game play out or the offense play out like to to Lane's, I guess. Um, hopes or whatever you want to say we get to watch his personality play out on camera it is the best and it was so much fun yesterday because because for a while you had it started to look like you had this very desperate and and motivated finally will muschamp doing the things to win a game and not just kick field goals and do other you know dumb crap and there's a moment right before halftime where they're freaking out and and you know by all means, I thought that game that halftime should have been over. Like they, they, I don't know why they they thought that, that that was the longest second I've ever seen. I'm I'm so glad though that it wasn't because yeah. it gave us a vintage Will Muschamp blow up blow up. And those yeah. we get like oh I don't know I think we get two really good ones every year. And I'm not just talking about yelling on the sideline. Coach Boone yeah. does that every single week. But those moments we need to cherish them because Will Muschamp's time as a coach in the SEC where he's going to oh, no. be on camera. It's limited, but that that was a great, great time put on the clock 
back for the sake of our entertainment. It was like everything yeah. in this game set up well for our viewer at home entertainment. Not the South Carolina fans. Sorry for all the South yeah. Carolina fans listening to this. David Carter, I know this is really rough right now, but that game set up well for us, the viewer at home. And you know what? Muschamp blowing up like that, I tip my cap to him because there are certain people that when they look angry, <laughs> You know, you know, there are those people that when they look angry, you're just like, oh, this isn't your best look. That's his best look. That is when he is at his element yeah. and he looks at home. It was it was funny to me because it, one, it was like meme of the year for us uh, with <laughs> the Chili's comment that I posted on Twitter. And the funniest part about that was, is I'm not trying to sit here and pat myself on the back because, um, I mean, like I'll do that at, at plenty of other times throughout this, uh, this episode. But like th- that tweet, if you missed the tweet, basically what I said was, because um, he was pointing and screaming at somebody. And I was like, when you're at a lovely dinner date at Chili's on Tuesday night and you see your fajitas taken to the wrong table and, like, flipped out. And so I was, like, like checking out and see, like, how many, you know, what the numbers were looking like and see, like, how many people liked it. And somebody said, my favorite part about this is that I know Will Muschamp is going to see it because he follows y'all. And I was like, wait, Will Muschamp follows us? And I checked it out. He does. <laughs> he does follow SDS on Twitter. So, you know. Just a little bit paranoid, Will Muschamp is. Yeah. Um, um, but no, that moment was cool. But it was it was kind of funny and ironic in so many ways because because Connor Snoop Connor was out of bounds. Like th- there's no yeah. there's no one in this world that's gonna tell me that, that there was an actual second not put back. Like even the game clock they were showing wasn't the actual game clock. It was like ESPN's own like you know Which like is graphic. Different. Yeah, it's it's different than the actual game clock and the time kept on the field. It was ridiculous. And it's like all right, he's at the twenty yard line, two seconds, and then it cu- cuts down to one. He cuts upfield, then somehow gets out of bounds at like ten extra yards. Is like no, that's this is impossible. And so, and even Jordan Rogers said he was like, "That's the longest second. That's a really long second. Tom Hart uh, said it was it was a missed call. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so I thought it was ridiculous, but it was kind of funny because watching Snoop Connor run this run this play, it the the, the time management in his head, it was so Will Muschamp esque because it was like, all right, everyone in the country, everyone watching this game knows. Catch the ball, get out of bounds. You're already in field goal range as is. You don't need to get up up further. And it was like, catch the ball, get out of bounds. No. <laughs> like, I'm not doing what everyone thinks I should do. Just some, for whatever reason, cuts it up field. And then it somehow didn't benefit Will Muschamp. And it was, but it was, it was kind of funny. He's like, hey, Will, you see how, see how angry you are watching it? That's exactly what it looks like for your fans. Yep. Exactly. I thought there were some very big takeaways from this game. <laughs> I don't think I have ever seen in all my time on this earth watching football a 91-yard touchdown in which a guy has been so wide open. I mean, Elijah Moore, I think, what, 20 yards of separation on that? Just the coverage bus of all coverage bus. So, and I'm not trying to – this is not a Bama thing. I don't want people to think this is a Bama thing. I saw that happen in – so many, like not just one example, but so many different examples with Lane Kiffin as the offensive coordinator at Bama. And I think it just speaks volumes to how great he is at scheming people open. It's incredible. And I think the Florida game, the Florida game where they, they lined up and mm-hmm. they ran a play very similar to what Georgia did against Bama earlier this season where like every every single game they started with a slip screen to Amari Cooper down like on, on the near sideline um, like the start of the game. And then against Florida, they lined up that, that way and had Kenyon Drake up top like by himself on a linebacker, just ran a go route, and he was wide ass open. And I think what he's able to do, you know, you know, this play, you know, it was might might have been even more impressive. The last touchdown of the game, and the way yeah. they, they were able to scheme open Eli that Moore, he went, they went for it on fourth down there. Great, God. great call, fantastic. 
Elijah Moore had 13 catches for 225 yards <laughs> and two touchdowns. I mean, the dude is just putting up the most video game season imaginable. And I love that in a game like this where we're talking about J.C. Horn's going to be all over him. And what does Lane do to start off? He gives him like three runs before he even threw the ball to him. And yeah. they said they're going to get him going this way. They don't want him to get frustrated, you know, if, if J.C. Horn does have good lockdown coverage. But, of course, he ends up, what, having 18 touches in this game as a wide receiver? I mean, that's absurd. But that speaks to how good Kiffin is at scheming these guys open. This was very interesting and not all surprising. Hold on, real quick. But how many games are they? They played seven games, right? He has six games with double-digit catches. Thank you. That like it's, it's insane. I, I'll you know what I'll just say I'll just say something that I, is not rooted with any kind of fact to it, but I'll just say it just to say it. Eli Moore deserves a Heisman over Justin Fields. Move on. Oh, going there. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Matt Corral says afterwards, and if you've never heard Matt Corral break down an opposing team's defense, do it. And I, I'll be honest, I had never heard really kind of his offensive in, intellect until I interviewed him after week two so it would have been after the Kentucky game and I spent 25 minutes on the phone with him and hearing him break down stuff is fascinating and for those who watched it on SEC Network and some of the stuff that he broke down afterwards it was great he said afterwards that they knew exactly what South Carolina was going to do defensively uh you think that is terrible for Will Muschamp that is so unbelievably bad in a game where yeah I know Israel Mukamu he goes down that wasn't making the world of difference that South Carolina fans probably would have hoped. Yeah. In the last three Hasn't games, season. yeah, last last three games this for Will Muschamp's defense after that great win against Auburn, we're praising them. We're saying South Carolina is going to be better than we thought they were going to be. This defense is going to keep them in it. They allowed 52 points, 48 points, and 59 points. Give me a total on that, Connor. That is uh, carry the that, that's 159. That is 53 points per game. A 50 burger is bad in general. Three of them in a row? Even I, I, I mean, like well, even I don't have that many burgers. I mean that's crazy. Yeah, but on average, 53? Like you're averaging your your opponents are averaging 53 points per game and you're trying to keep your job and you're a defensive coach. That's that's the thing that I think is is alarming. If this was still just the offense looking like crap, yeah. Muschamp could kind of say, oh, it's the Bobo hire. While we talked about how that was going to have a big impact on his job security moving forward, it could be the key hire to make or break him. That was probably worse because the offense, Bobo actually made great adjustments and realized, oh my gosh, Ole Miss can't tackle Kevin Harris if it's life depended on it. And that dude ran all over the place. He runs for a billion yards and they still lose. I mean, that is... I- I have a question for you, and this is this is an argument I got in on Instagram a while ago, and somebody was mad about our top ten rankings. And and real quick, peek behind the onion, or well, peel behind the onion. Peel. I don't. Yeah, we peel. I don't make any of those rankings. So if you want to argue with somebody, honor with, argue with Connor, argue with Matt Hinton, argue with who Neil Joe Cox does rankings. Else. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, but somebody was like, "Y'all sleeping on on Kevin Harris," and I was like, "Kevin Harris is not a top ten player in the conference. Is Kevin Harris top ten player in the conference in your eyes?" I don't think so, 
but I think he's close, and I don't think yeah. that we have necessarily given him the due that he has deserved this year at a place right. where running back talent has been so few and far few and far between, and they have really looked for that guy since Marcus Lattimore left, and that has been such a key area in which they have really struggled, and that has held them back from competing in the SEC. He has done so higher than any anybody could have hoped yeah. for. If Marshawn Lloyd was doing the things that Kevin Harris was doing, South Carolina fans would be like, they would be over the moon yeah. right now. And I think I, that that speaks to how well he has been able to surpass our expectations. I will tell you this too. The the uh, I'll say it like Dallas Johns always says. I'll tell you what, Connor. Um, they, they, that whole thing last night, they kept telling that story about how South Carolina didn't think he was fast enough and they, they thought he was good, but they didn't think he yeah. was good enough. And, and then they brought him onto, onto campus and to run a 40 and, and he ran it. And then, um, so basically it was like, if you, if you missed the story, they were talking about South Carolina was recruiting him. They didn't think he had enough speed to play in the SEC. So they invited him to a, a, a camp and basically if he was going to be able to run fast enough, they, they would, they offered him. It's like so Michael he ran, yeah, he ran the 40. And it was it was it had to be like under a four six, and he ran it under a sub a, a sub four six, and then one of the coaches was like, "That's not right. Make him run it again," and then he ran a faster one, and it was a four Love five it. one. I tell you what, that's a great story, and it's awesome that he was able to to do what the coach didn't think he'd do. If I'm that kid and I go to a camp after knowing that I'm fast enough, and then you tell me that you don't think I am, and then you make me run it again, as soon as I record that four five one double bird, see you later, leaving on <laughs> leaving South Carolina, driving down I twenty and going home. But um, but yeah, it was it was a cool it was a cool deal for him. I thought he had an incredible game. I, I will say, I'm not going to have the recency bias or knee jerk reaction to think that he, now he's automatically one of the best running backs in the country because I think or in the SEC because he's been great. But we saw what he did against A&M, and that's also something I brought up to that same same guy. It was like A&M's got a really yeah, good rush defense. It, too. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that anytime we see what anyone does against Ole Miss's defense, it's we don't need to. Let's just pump the brakes and and before we yeah, think that all of a sudden is. This, this is one of the best. Now I will say this too, Colin Hill looks better than 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 people than I thought. I, he looked better than I, than I thought, especially early on. But I don't know. This is like it's, it's like almost like how I don't, people are gonna get upset about this comp, but it's almost how I think how some people viewed like the votes being tallied in the presidential election because Whoa. I don't know what happens, but Colin Hill is eight of nine. And then I avert my eyes somewhere else, and all of a sudden he's exactly where we always think he is. He's 17 of 28. I don't remember even seeing 11 incompletions, but by God, he will get there no matter what. Like, this is, yet again, the most Colin Hill stat line of all time. 17 of 28, 230 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Cool. He had fewer passing yards than Kevin Harris had rushing yards. (laughs) Like, and the point is... Listen, he had a he had some good throws. He had one down the the when they were going right to left on the screen, and it was down the right sideline to Shai Smith. I, I think he was even double covered, and he put yeah. just dropped a dime in there to him late in the first half. But I just feel like at this point, when you need a spark, Doty could could do something similar, or at least from a touchdown standpoint. Or they um, brought him in on the goal Helinski. line package, kind of the the red zone thing. Well. Kind of a, a theme that you're seeing a little bit more throughout the SEC. Even you saw Vandy doing that as well with um, uh, with Michael Wright, the the true freshman quarterback out of Georgia. I think though, for okay, so if, I'll just say this real quick on South Carolina. Those two guys, Shai Smith, Kevin Harris, we can dub them the uh, best players that nobody outside of the SEC is talking about or really knows they exist. It, I catch Shai Smith made last night was stupid. 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> he he's gonna have like six catches on his NFL draft reel that you're just like, wait a minute, what? What? How? how? I, I don't. I mean, how big is he? Because because like he, he he has six feet. Even maybe? what? He's five ten. Ooh. Like mm. even even more than Debo Shouldn't Samuel matter. did. He he is going. <laughs> We're not getting on the hype thing, Connor. Man, um, but he's, <laughs> he's doing things that Debo didn't didn't do, and that's not to right. say that Debo wasn't like Debo's an incredible player. Don't get me wrong, but like yeah. some of the, some of the things that he, this guy is doing, he's th- this guy better have an NFL market. If he doesn't, it's going to be because of the uniform that he wears. No other reason. Completely agree. Completely um, agree. What's next? We're I've been told. Kentucky Vandy. Real quick though, I've been told with Muschamp that it is still entirely dependent on the finish, and it all depends on booster momentum. It depends, obviously, on the Ray Tanner situation and being able to say, look, it's not working. Your guy is not the long-term fit, and we can't continue to get embarrassed by this. We are losing the fan base, and it's a ticking time bomb. There is no turning back at this point. I have been told that if it continues to get ugly, then there will be that momentum. But it's not a foregone conclusion. That's what I've been told. I just it blows my mind, and I don't care about the money. I don't care about any part of that because it's just like, it like, I I know that co- major colleges and universities have thirteen million dollars, and I don't give a <laughs> if we're in the middle of a pandemic and they think like I know you have it, I know you have it, and I know you afford it to other parts of the university, and everyone else does too, and 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 the bottom line is, you sitting here as like an administration and saying like, well I tell you what. If it keep if it keeps looking like this, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to send a message and fire him. It's like, well, you know what? You've had three straight games where the, where teams have put up almost fifty points against your 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 team. You you routinely got embarrassed, but no, yeah, by all means, if it keeps up, you'll finally turn this car around. Can't wait, stepdad. That no one respects. It's it's awesome. the, I mean it's the like, obvious. It's it's still like the same. Every thing. substitute they they, they have the, the South Carolina administration like like Will Muschamp's a joke, but this administration. Is like I, t- I take it about as seriously as like a substitute teacher in high school. Like like anything you're saying to me about well, I'll tell you what, if it keeps up like this, we're definitely gonna have to make a move. Shut up, roll the damn TV out on those giant wheels and whatever that thing is, the, and just show us a movie. We don't care. Like nothing you're saying is real. Like nothing you're saying is important or real. We've given up all faith in you doing the right thing and having any sort of like actual control of the situation. Ray Tanner, ridiculous. if he fires Will Muschamp, he should be fired it'll too. be because he's saving his own job. I think a lot of South Carolina fans would agree at this point. All right, don't want to spend a ton of time talking about Vandy and Kentucky, but just a couple of quick things. Glad that we did not break neighbor Terry Wilson. Would have yes. felt really, really bad if we did that. Take that, 2020. Yeah, boom. Um, Terry Wilson was great. Awesome game for him. Three touchdowns. Chris Rodriguez. <laughs> was it, though? No, he was he was fantastic, and in the in the game in the in the time that he played, they brought in Bo Allen late in that game as well. When it was a three score game, they're hoping to be able to just kind of ride that out. And Vandy, to its credit, did not quit in that game. Terry Wilson was was good in that game, no doubt about it. His legs looked great. He was throwing to to open receivers, hitting tight ends, and doing things that you would hope to be able to see from him coming off of a very lackluster last three to four weeks. Chris Rodriguez breakaway touchdown run. That guy needs to be getting twenty carries a game. I understand you've got AJ Rose. Chris Rodriguez is a fun player. Looking forward to his future as well in Lexington. This offense played inspired for the late yeah, John Schlarman. That was cool. The offensive line coach who died this week of cancer. If you didn't see it, 
so much love in that locker room and you saw all the tributes come out. Our guy Cash Daniel had some things to say about him as well. Just an unbelievable tribute that they had at the start of that game to leave the left guard spot open on the first play of the game. Kentucky takes a delay of game. Vandy declines the penalty. Landon Young enters that game wearing Schlarman's number 65. That's what he wore when he was an All-SEC offensive lineman at Kentucky. If you are going to tune into that game for anything, that was it. That's the type of – this is like this is like why I love college football and like why I love the fact that even at a noon, a noon game, which nobody outside of those fan bases is going to be watching, we can still get a moment like that and see a man honored on that stage. It was really, really cool. I'm sure so many people that were there will not forget that anytime soon. Yeah, it was a, it was a really, really cool um, and unique way they, they were able to honor him, especially at the start of the game. Um, and, like, yeah, by all means, like, this is something that's, like, worthwhile talking about. I, uh, the game itself was not great, I think. Like, I... You know, hats off to Vandy for for keeping it close. I did think Kentucky kind of pulled away early and, and maybe left their foot off the, gla- their, off the gas. But in a week where you could do anything besides focus on that game, and it would have been understandable, and yeah. and like it would have been nobody in the, nobody in the country would have blamed them. Um, I just I, a tremendous job by by Bob's or wow well, well, <laughs> wow by Mark Stoops. Um, Put money in his able, bank, get his name right. Well, you know, so I was thinking about that because somebody had posted in the in the podcast group about how like. He was one of the most overrated coaches somehow in the country because he's just related to Bob Stoops, which is ridiculous. Oh, that's, that's gonna, a terrible take. It, it, a terrible take. Um, it, had, it, had the, it had the feel, honestly, of like somebody just trying to say something to throw crap at the wall and see how many you know responses it can get. But no, Mark Stoops, like, tremendous job being able to, to inspire his team and, and, um, and go out there and take care of business on a week where I'm sure football was the, the, you know, one of the last things on, on these guys' minds. For sure. Yeah, Mark Stoops like, just passed Bear Bryant for most wins ever at Kentucky, didn't he? Like, yeah, sure we brought was... that up in, in the interview we had with him. I was like, he was set to do that this year. Yeah. Um, it, you know, if, if this, you know, he won this many games. So, incredible job by, by Mark Stoops. Um, but, yeah, Kentucky gets back on track, improves to a three and four. Uh, Going to get a little bit more difficult this week against Bama. Just a thought, probably. Yeah. Sunday apologies. We don't have many of these because... Wait, real quick, moving forward, because I heard this again last night, and I'm not sure how valid it is. What is the latest with the SEC scheduling and what we can expect for um, making up any games that were lost this weekend? December 19th can be a makeup game for SEC teams, which is great. That is the same day as the SEC championship. That's what we talked about last week as a potential move for flexibility. Greg Sankey has said the F word a lot <laughs> in all sort of public forums. I thought he was great on college mm-hmm. game day, by the way. If you watch that, you thought to yourself, man, that guy certainly knows how to communicate better than Kevin Warren or Larry Scott, these commissioners yeah. who have continued to trip over their own shoelaces. They're, they were saying afterwards, after that interview, where Greg Sankey talks about all these moving pieces and says, look, it's hard to move that finish line back. And that is the difficult thing right now that we're dealing with is that when you have that finish line in place, it's tough to, at the middle of the point, and in case you forgot, Greg Sankey loves himself a good half marathon, big half marathon yeah. um, but loves to be able to, he, he, he loves being able to bring How up that flexibility. How many half marathon in? That's a good question. If you're running under two hours, you're moving. You're moving. I ran it in 148, and I had no prep, no practice, no training. 148. I ran really? 148.51. It was either 148.51 or 151.48. It was the day before the Bama-Auburn game in 2010. I had all the motivation. Dang, that is... I was moving. This is, a, this is 10 years ago, Connor. 
True. I can see True. the skepticism in your eyes. I definitely did it. <laughs> it's there. It's there. But uh, I, I think that there's still a lot to be determined with the SEC schedule. And everybody that keeps throwing around these, these, this is, hey, this makeup game is going to happen here. It's going to happen yeah. there. That's also still assuming that we're not going to have any more games that are postponed or canceled, which after the last week that we had, I would not bet on that at all. Uh, no. I, like, again, I had this conversation with some people last night in this thread of, of Bama fans, and it was like talking about how we – we're going to reschedule the LSU game, and we owe them an ass-kicking or whatever. And it's like, this game could not matter less. It, like, it just could not matter less. And it makes no sense to me that, like, we're getting to the point now where, like, again, we're, we are at, we're so close to the finish line. Let's get to the finish line. And let's get there with, like, like I don't care if Bama's 9-0 or 8-0 or whatever. Like, just please don't get COVID. <laughs> That's it. Do you want to see the college football playoff move back? No, I don't. It's something that's like, been I think brought up. I had this conversation with um, with Adam Kramer the other day for um, a, a video we did for Two Minute Drill on, on uh, social media, and he he was saying off air, he's like, they're going to have to move it back, and and, and like it just they're going to have to lean into at least looking at the possibilities of moving it back for different conferences, and, and just kind of accept it and see where we can go from there, instead of trying to like you know force the rest of the season in, and and because they're worried about competing with the NFL. And I get that. That's the big thing. That is the big thing right now because they have looked at the weekends after that January 1st date, which is a very coveted time slot because yeah. you're able to have these games that are back-to-back, and you can't have back-to-back games on a Monday night when one of them is starting at 5 o'clock. Right. You're not going to get the audience that you would want to, and having that January 1st TV audience where you know everybody's at home, they, ESPN pays $600 million for these semifinal yeah. games, and that <laughs> is what is that. at the root of all of this. And that, yeah. so they've looked at these weekends because you would say to yourself okay and this is the point that i i initially had was well we have the national championship on a monday we play the ncaa tournament men's basketball championship is on a monday why can't we have these playoff games on weekdays well it's because they want to be able to give those teams the same amount of time of rest but i thought you know what why can't we have this on a monday and tuesday where if you're the one seed you, yeah, that's an advantage you get. You get an extra day of rest to be able to have mm-hmm. in between the semifinal game and the national championship. I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. Obviously, no. there are a lot of moving parts, and they don't want to reschedule this. I mean, let's let's be honest. No, they don't. Everything I, is more difficult when you have to make up an entirely new plan than the one that you have been preparing for for months. Yeah, agreed. And, and I think that there's there's two ways to look at it. Like you know, our our good buddy Gary Sokin from the the Chick Fil A Peach Bowl and all the all the effort that goes into everything he they plan mm-hmm. for the you know not only kickoff weekend but also the end of the year in the Peach Bowl. There, there's a lot that goes into these bowl games like that, and, and I would like to see them played. But when you talk about the playoffs specifically, uh, you I've heard more than ever, and we should have expected this like going the end of the season. More than ever, I've heard people saying like, well, it doesn't matter anyway. It's it's a it's a asterisk of a season anyway, and like who cares and. It's not a real change. Like, Marler, stop loser. talking to Michigan fans. Stop talking that's, to Michigan fans. Dude, that's such a loser mentality, and it's such a ridiculous like, – like, the people that have that mentality are the, are the people that are fans of teams that suck and aren't going to play in a national championship. For the teams that aren't this year and the teams that are, like, actually going to play for a national championship, I think the College Football Playoff Committee, what they need to start doing is figuring out the best ways moving forward for those teams that they're going to be involved and, and, like, make the number big. Like, I mean, like – Yes, Cincinnati. Yes, BYU. Yeah, like all these teams that have any kind of realistic shot at playing in the national championship, you need to figure out the best way moving forward to make sure those teams are taken care of. Because those teams, and a lot of them, again, that haven't gotten COVID or have gotten the protocols or have been able to play these games or whatever, 
Like, I mean, look at the entire ACC. How many canceled games have we seen from the ACC throughout the year? Not that many. Um, there were more. There were more early on. Early on, like. right? Yeah. But, and so, and so, what, what I'm I'm saying is like, I totally understand this was this was gonna happen with COVID, especially. But but punishing the teams that did the right things is not where we need to be. And and by canceling games and by having to do this like later on in the season, where some teams are gonna throw in the towel and not care as much and all that kind of stuff, it shouldn't affect the teams that are doing the right things that are still playing for a national title just because you didn't want to, you know, like do, do the right thing on your own. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a little bit tougher to differentiate. I think that there are definitely it's not cases. LSU. Where, I'm talking about LSU. I, I, I realize that. Definitely realize that. I think there are cases in which, yeah, you could probably point to um, a lack of just a lack of desire to to be able to follow the the current protocols. I think there are cases where, look, they had they had an outbreak within a position group, and all of a sudden mm-hmm. that extends quickly, and that that happens. And maybe it's even with teams that feel like they're following the protocols. Correctly. I mean, Arkansas had a coach in Sam Pittman who Sam Pittman has been one of those guys that like he's actually known how to wear his mask, hasn't yeah. worn it around his chin like some idiot or done some Paul Chris thing and worn it over his mouth for an entire game and then got COVID the very next day and his entire quarterback room has COVID because yeah. we found out Paul Chris doesn't know how to wear a mask. But the issue is, okay, these teams are going to have to deal with moving parts. And that's that's mm-hmm. just what I have I have come to accept. And that's difficult from a fan's perspective, but this is all still very much up in the air in terms of how it's going to look moving forward. As much as we have talked about how entrenched the college football playoff has been, we've already seen things like, oh, the Heisman ceremony is going virtual. That's going to be after the college football playoff is announced, which is a crazy thing in itself to think about like that timeline and how, you know, that's going to be like January 5th, I think is the, the announcement date. And it's everything is, is weird. Everything is different and don't get too married to anything right now because it could change and it could change all, all with the hopes that this season is able to get to some sort of finish line. That's the goal. Yeah. I, and the last thing too, I want to say before LSU fans get all mad, it's totally understandable. And I totally get it. If you're a student, athlete and not wanting to like they already have to jump through so many hoops anyway and and do all these things that are like not the same as like a normal college kid and a year like this man i think we're all tired of being told what to do but i'm just saying for sure that's understandable but we have to separate that from the the teams that are still in contention that's all sunday apologies i don't think you're going to be apologizing to um lsu fans i don't think you no not um i have i have an apology to florida fans because (laughs) you know I feel like I've been, I'm going to pat myself on the back real quick here. I feel like I've been pretty much on the money with most things Gators this year. We could go yeah. back to the Texas A&M pick and how that was running the money. The the Georgia pick that I had right as well. I kind of had them at this point of the year being in this position where they're going to control their own destiny to the SEC championship. I didn't think this offense would look this good. But in right. this individual game, I doubted this offense's potential against Arkansas. Coming off of the cocktail party. No Kyle Pitts, good Arkansas defense. And the fact that Florida still put up 63 points like it was nothing. And as you said earlier, it was a kind of a casual 63 points in some ways. Yeah. It just looked easy at so many different points. That's the thing about Florida and Matt Miller, our good friend, who uh, was at Bleacher Report. He's kind of in between some things right now. Uh, the point that he brought up, everything just looks easy for Kyle Trask and what he is able to do. Part of that is scheme. Part of that is trust in your talent. This Florida offense I shouldn't doubt it anymore. I shouldn't because, yeah, like Alabama's offense since the start of last year, 
Nobody's stopping it, and you're not going to stop it. In a 60-minute game, you're just not going to. They're going to get theirs, and there's really not really that weakness at this point. I think even the backs are running so incredibly hard. I love what we've seen out of Damian Pierce and, and Naquan Wright. These guys look really, really good, and they look mm -hmm. like they are just a force, and it's not just a, a one-trick pony. So I apologize to Florida fans for saying that Arkansas was going to cover, saying that maybe they could have some hiccups in this game. That did not happen. Okay, what else? I'm going to apologize to anybody that I've ever told <laughs> a positive thing um, to about Jim Harbaugh, which is more of like, uh, this is a deep cut, because go back to like 2016, 2017, I was kind of the, I wasn't a blind Harbaugh defender, but I was the person saying, look at what Michigan fans had to deal with with Brady Can't Hope be worse. and Rich Rod. Yeah, what we saw from Michigan, if you tuned into that game against Wisconsin for some odd reason, I, even if you were gambling on that game, that was over in a hurry. Yeah. I I don't know how, how it can get that bad because that was just an embarrassment. And it, it's over. That's like, you know those moments as a fan. Every fan base has had to deal with this at some point. Even Alabama fans, of course, I'm sure you remember that moment when you realize, oh, it's over. They're not playing for this coach anymore. It's, it's time to be able to move on. Maybe South Carolina fans feel like that right now with what they've seen defensively. Yeah. But it's a very tough it's moment Mike to have. Like 15 years. It's it's awful. Go. Well, and i tell you what. it was. I remember 2000, it was really tough. But, yeah, the writing was on the wall with Mike DuBose. And it's something that, yeah. like, you know, and, and that's a team that even had success with, with DuBose and won the SD championship. Granted, he was – Having sex with his uh, assistant on the in the office, like Bill allegedly Clinton and all that kind of stuff. No, that, that definitely happened. Um, that definitely I just like saying but, allegedly with anything yeah. like that. <laughs> but um, the thing that Mike DeBose also is like it had a, that had a not that had more of a must champ vibe to it because we were just getting our brains beat in every single week, and then it's like we got to be better. I'm sorry, I'm doing my best, and we, we're going to finish out the season as much as possible. But I will step down at the end of the year, and it's like God, this sucks. But yeah, I mean the Michigan thing. It's there's nobody outside of Ann Arbor that's not enjoying this, right? Like it's, it's hilarious to watch. This is apologies though, so let's stick to let's stick oh, to yeah. apologies. What do you what apologies. do you got? Who do, I, who do I apologize to this week? Um, I you know what I'll apologize to Florida fans about the Kyle Trask stuff because I, I think that in the beginning of the season, especially especially Wes Bumbrick uh, from the podcast group, I just was dead set on thinking Kyle Trask would not continue this pace of it's ridiculous. Like like the numbers, the yards. You know, I kept thinking, I was like, all right, well, he's still well behind. Like, he was like a 1,000 yards behind behind Mac Jones or whoever else, like, a couple weeks ago. And granted, they, he wasn't, he missed some games, but, like, good God. Like, Kyle Trask has been absolutely elite this entire year. Um, he has been, he's been absolutely elite, I think, from, like, a statistical standpoint and from, like, a performance standpoint. And I think that Florida fans are really eager. And, like, you know, I think I get it because Florida fans went from having the best quarterback in college football history with Tim Tebow, like 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 not from an accuracy standpoint, whatever. But like, he Tim Tebow is the best college quarterback in the history of college football, just bottom line. And and so, going from that to like John Brantley and Treon Harris and and whoever else they threw out there besides Luke, because we love Luke. But my God, it's it's just it's gotta it's gotta have taken a toll on you. So it's been awesome to see Kyle Trask be that guy. And really lead this uh, this offense to something special. So I apologize to Florida fans for thinking that he might not be as good as they as they thought he was going to be. The other other people I apologize to LSU fans. And and I what? know that I'm here. Just hear me out. I know that I've been hard on you guys about about this weekend. And and I totally get it. Like I said, I totally get it that um, that you know the college kids want to go out and have fun and all that kind of stuff. 
But man, I, you know, if, just if y'all would have spent less time being so grossly offended by my Coach O uh, accent and more grossly offended by Coach O not being able to keep these kids under control and, and having this whole, we're going and we're backing down. That obviously turned out to be a lie. They, they did. They, they are not coming anymore, Connor. And they are backing down. And maybe that'll change over at some point, but man, I, I apologize to anybody uh, that I ever built up thinking that this was going to, at least from a toughness standpoint, um, just, you know, what an incredible, incredible coach that was going to be and, and mindset for this program. So there you go. Didn't even play this weekend. No, and they didn't play because of everything I just said. They didn't play because they didn't. They were practicing for Arkansas. Let's guess on that Apologize note. Apologize to me. Let's guess some week nine lines in the SEC. Florida Vandy is going to be a huge, huge spread. Yeah. I think Florida's a 31-point favorite against Vandy, especially after what Vandy just did to the Kentucky offense, who had been yeah. just awful. Vandy's actually got a couple of okay things offensively that I don't totally hate. Ken Seals, Ken being Seals one is of them. fun, man. Ken Seals is all right. The guy is all right. Um, but Florida's going to be a 31-point favorite against Vandy. Uh, 37 and a half. Dang, that's a lot. That's is it good? I think it's going to be the biggest spread of the year in the yeah. SEC. I think I think it'll be skewed. Well, I think it might be right. I, I think it'll be skewed a little bit just because of the fact that you look at what um, like like Vandy, Florida hasn't really had a crazy margin of victory against anyone else. This is their biggest of one of the year, yeah. right? But but when you look at Vandy, it, it's ripe for for like Vegas to throw a number up like that. I agree. LSU, Arkansas. This is this is a, a wild thing to think about when you talk about where these programs were Don't. last year. Arkansas can't be a home favorite, can it? Can it? I don't know. This spread is going to be small. If this is played and if LSU is able to bounce back and not have the COVID-related issues, we think Miles Brennan, looks like Miles Brennan is going to be out for the year based on what Coach O has said. Hard Quarterback room very thin. Let's let's say that LSU is like a two point favorite on the road. Ugh, I don't even <laughs> think about that. <laughs> I'll I say LSU four and a half. Four and a half, man, man, how things have changed. Or three, yeah, either one. Kentucky, Alabama. Alabama had two weeks in which it did not have a football game. Kentucky bounced back a little bit offensively. Don't know how much that's going to really factor into the spread. Bama's going to be a significant home favorite. Kentucky defense came into the weekend as the number one in terms of scoring in the SEC, but go follow SEC StatCat because there are some, some chinks in the armor definitely with that Kentucky defense. We saw it late against Vandy especially. Alabama is going to be a four-score favorite at home. I think Bama is a 27-point favorite. That's exactly what I was going to say. Dang, right on the yeah. money. I love it. Tennessee, Auburn. I think that coming off of what Auburn did against LSU, Vegas is still going to be on Auburn's side. Auburn dealing with some COVID cases as God, well. Like a month ago, right? feels like so, so long ago. I saw Kevin Steele's defense do some very, very violent things to a true freshman quarterback. Not sure if that's in the back of Jeremy Pruitt's mind if he wants to start Harrison Bailey, but Auburn is going to be a double-digit home favorite. I'm going to say Auburn's an 11.5 home, 11 point home favorite. Uh, I will say 16.5. I probably should have gone higher. Tennessee has lost four consecutive games by double digits. Yeah. Mississippi State and Georgia, hopefully, 
this game is played. Mississippi State dealing with an outbreak. Man, it feels like we could say that about pretty much every game. Mm-hmm. Georgia coming off of a an unforced bye week after the Florida game. Don't know what in the world the quarterback situation is going to look like. Kirby Smart saying that all these guys are getting reps. If JT Daniels or Carson Beck isn't starting in this game, I will be absolutely blown away. I think that Georgia still has to be like a three-score favorite in this game, assuming that they get some of these defensive pieces back. I'm going to say Georgia is a 20-point favorite. Um, hmm. I, 20 feels like a lot, but maybe also not enough. Um, I will say 24 and a half. Mizzou, South Carolina. If Will Muschamp loses this game to a year one coach, another year one coach, yeesh. You better watch out because you'll get another slap on the wrist. We're going to give you a demerit. We're going to give you a demerit. It's going to go on your permanent record. Mizzou couldn't cover, or South Carolina rather, couldn't cover as a double-digit road dog to a year one coach. And a year one coach who doesn't have a defense. So South Carolina is not going to get much love here. Very, very small home favorite like one and a half point favorite south carolina at home um that seems like i don't feel good about that at all really <laughs> um i'll say they're a, a a five point favorite even though mizzou's been i i feel like quietly a little bit better than expected they're also year. really bad on the road and they haven't they're they're oh and two on the good road point. against the spread and they're a three and oh at home Good point. Old Miss, Texas A&M. This game is expected to be postponed. I, I totally understand that. We heard reports coming out in the middle of last week, which usually that's not a good sign. Um, I think our, it was our friend David Johnson who reported that this game was going to be, it was 99% likely to be postponed slash canceled, whatever. Um, if it is played, A&M, home favorite, no doubt about it, especially after watching Old Miss allow probably another 75-yard touchdown to Kevin Harris by the time I finish that sentence. Yeah. A&M, A&M would probably be like a, I'm going to say an, a 15-point a home favorite. Um, or is that not enough? I'll say, no, I think it's too much. I think it's, I'll say 12 and a half. Ooh, 12 and a half. Okay. A&M has been able to really keep its foot on the gas. I hope that yep. game is played, although it's probably not, and we probably just wasted time talking about that. At this time last week, we were talking about a full SEC slate, and by the time Saturday came around, Don't we had negative. Less don't end negatively. You're right. You're right. You know what? I take that back. Positive vibes only. We're going to have the majority of these games played. And if we don't, oh, well, at least we're going to have some football being played. That was a great example of even even a Saturday that lackluster can still actually yield some positives. And thank you, South Carolina Ole Miss, for just that. All right. If you are not, for some reason, following all of our content on social media, you definitely should at SES, at SEC Football, at Vern Funquist, at the SDS Pod, at CJ O'Gara on Twitter. Go join our Facebook group, Saturday Down South Podcast on Facebook. Go to our website. Go to SaturdayDownSouth.com. Click around and find our, our, our shirts that we're doing with Breaking Tea. Some great, great shirts. I saw Barrett Salee was wearing our Penny Lane t-shirt, rocking that. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely produced uh, a that big knife one, though. Say that again. That Masters one we made is, is Ooh, awesome. that was fire. Yeah. That was fire. You can wear that all year round. You can wear any Masters gear all year round, yeah. and you could still be the guy who's wearing Masters gear. Yeah. So make sure make sure you definitely hop over to SaturdayDownSouth.com and do all of those things. Marler, what do we need to remember on this fine 
Masters Sunday, in which, you know, we don't know who's winning this yet, but I feel like we can still call it a fine Masters Sunday. Wear a damn mask and don't cost me a national championship. Talk to you guys soon.